In this episode, we are covering a topic that is close to both of our hearts, how to choose a buyer's agent plus the bigger question, how do you know if you really need one? Welcome to Your First Home Buyer Guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyer's agents and probably old enough to be your mums. But that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 40 years experience and we are going to share with you bucket loads of stories about avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure that you get unbiased and real information that you can rely on so you can get where you want to be without missing a step. Now, we've got loads of great tips for you in this episode. And if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll find free checklists that you can download, a free mini course on how to price a property and our where to buy workshop for only $39. Priceless stuff, really. Bargain. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You of course know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field of expertise. Now we've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording, but things change. So check with the relevant government authority or your advisors to get the most up-to-date information. Buyers agents have been around in Australia for over 30 years, believe it or not, but to Mm. many property buyers, they seem like a relatively new idea. And today we're going to help you understand what questions to ask potential buyers agents, but also what questions you need to ask yourself about whether or not you actually need a buyers agent to help you successfully purchase your first property. Mm. Not for everybody but could be parts of the process that work for you. Now, when I started Property Pursuit in Brisbane in 2003, there were only a handful of buyers agents around the country. I did a huge amount of research into how they operated, what different legislation there existed in each state, and also what was happening overseas. Now, in places like the USA, Canada, and the UK, buyers agents are commonplace. Most buyers use them, but there's a lot less understanding of the real benefits here in Australia. And there's a very good reason why most buyers use them in the States. You know why, Megan? Because they share the commission with the selling agent, which is not something that we advocate. We call that a conflict (laughs) of interest. They don't actually pay the buyer's agent directly. It comes out of the, the price they pay for the property. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and that's one reason why it's so well uh, well established over there. But when I started um, Good Deeds in uh, 2000, and actually I didn't start Good Deeds in 2007. Um, so when I started as a buyer's agent in 2007, I actually started Good Deeds in 2009. When I started off there, I reckon there were, you said there was a handful in the country There must have been half that handful, maybe not half that handful in Sydney. I think there were a lot more in Melbourne. A lot more in Melbourne. Yeah, much more prolific in Melbourne. And most buyers agents just can't be experts in all areas. And so they do specialise in particular locations. I'd actually say not most, all. No buyers agent can be an expert in every area. They can't, but some try. <laughs> some many try, and then we'll get Let's, to that. Yeah, <laughs> we will get to that. Anyway, <laughs> I'm I'm ba- my business is based in Balmain, and Megan's is Brisbane, and there's a, a part of Brisbane, obviously, that you would specialize in, and there's also Sunshine Coast, and it's about having people on your team, right? That With specialize. Local 
in an area with local knowledge. And we all have a network of trusted partners that can help people all across the country. It took us a long time to handpick those buyers agents that we recommend across the country. Absolutely. <laughs> and Absolutely. It, would, <laughs> it would be fair to say that we have seen a lot of buyers agents come and go over the last 20 odd years. Plus we you know, and, and of course, I was a sales agent before being a buyer's agent. And I must say, I'd only ever dealt, I think, with one in that whole time, maybe two in the time yeah. that I was a sales agent. But I recently interviewed Kate Bacos on the Elephant in the Room podcast. And uh, Kate is the president of REBA, which is the only professional association for exclusive buyer's agents. And she estimates so the real estate. By the Real Estate Buyers Agents Association of Australia, REBA, much easier to say. <laughs> That's it, REBA, just REBA. <laughs> um, and Kate estimated that five years ago there were around 300 buyers agents in Australia, but that number has skyrocketed largely because the barrier to entry is so low. Another warning. So we've given you one warning, local local specialisation. Second law, second warning is mm, it's a bit easy to become a buyers agent, bit of a it's problem. It's a little bit too easy, yeah. Whilst it is hard to know how many out there are actually actually qualified, insured and registered, but there's a guess that it's in the vicinity of one to 2,000. Yeah, so Kate thought, uh, I was listening to the podcast and 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 it was Kate's opinion that there was probably, and now that's a big wide um, indication, but that's, that's kind of exclusive or largely exclusive buyer's agents as opposed to people who might be working for a real estate agency but call themselves a buyer's agent. Um, and this, this is something we're going to go into is how to differentiate between someone who's really on your side and someone who's not on your side. Now, interestingly, there are about 70,000 real estate agents in Australia. So the numbers are still really quite small. Mm. Now, I actually recently had a client who was a very, very successful real estate agent in Brisbane, but he just didn't have the time to do the searching. So one of his motivators for using someone was, was the time poor factor. Um, he told me that he could never do what a buyer's agent does. So as a real estate agent, he said to me, I could never do your job, Megan, because you have to do so much, so much more research, so much more work and so much more effort into educating the clients than a real estate agent ever has to do because a real estate agent is selling a product and that product is the house. Mm, so sales um, agent. I guess sales agent, yeah. Um yeah, that's that is so important and it's so interesting. And and I find it really irritating that the sales agents still get paid more than buyers agents. <laughs> but anyway, but we digress again. We do digress. <laughs> Look, he uh, he works with a variety of buyers agents in Brisbane and talked about you know the massive array of experience and professionalism that he sees in the industry. It really highlights the massive void between what is good and what is not so good in the buyers agent industry, just like any other industry. And that's really what we want to talk talk about today, isn't it, Veronica? Yeah, and it's funny because I remember the first group beta students we took through your first home buyer guide, and we were talking to them about what we were teaching them. And to be quite honest, I think a lot of them would have come out of that group. You know, we were mentoring every single week with this group and and we had a lot of feedback in terms that we could really, really get a, a really good grip on, on what they were learning and as they were progressing. And by the end of it, I thought a lot of these students would have known more than some of the buyer's agents that were entering the industry. So it is a real cautionary tale. Not all buyer's agents are going to get you where you want to be, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, even if you're going to get a buyer's agent, being an educated consumer 
is going to make sure that A, you choose a better one and B, you get a better outcome because the thing is that you know the, the questions to ask then, don't you? If you yeah. educate yourself, you know the right questions to ask and how to assess the answers that they're going to give you or how they challenge you on your thinking. Well, that's the thing because choosing a bad buyer's agent is actually worse than taking the time to educate yourself <laughs> and do it yourself. <laughs> really, it's just nuts. And the here we well are. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you tell the difference between a good buyer's agent and someone who isn't acting in your best interests or actually just doesn't have the right experience to protect your interests and help you find that best asset? Because firstly, I think the very first step is you want to make sure that right they're Right at the ex- front. Yeah, yep. you got to make yep. sure that they are exclusive. And what that means is that they only work for you and you're paying them because if you're not paying them, somebody else Someone is. Someone else is. <laughs> and that means you're the product as in the buyer is being delivered to the seller, you know, yep. and they are paying that buyer's agent. And unfortunately the terminology of buyer's agent is very muddy. You it know, is. It, 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 there's no legislation around... Apart from the fact that you can't call yourself an agent unless you are duly appointed and you have a fiduciary obligation to your client, but in terms of the the words buyer's agent, you know, anyone can hang out that shingle and say if they've got a licence or they're working for a real estate agency. Now, it is possible for a buyer's agent to work for a real estate, a selling agency. It is There's nothing wrong with that if they're not taking commission from both sides of the ledger. But it's if they're not... It's a bit there, doesn't it? Absolutely. I'm not saying it's right. <laughs> I'm just saying it's not illegal. It's and possible. herein lies a big part of the problem. Mm. Um, the legislation is too loose. The barriers to entry are too low. Um, and unless you ha- know th- how to dig through and find out what really is going to be the right solution to you and the questions to ask and how how to weed out the people who aren't going to protect your interests. And this is what this podcast is all about. This is about the questions to ask and how to find the right people for you Um, because the right person for you might not be the right person for your friend down the road, but you Mm. might have equally good experiences or equally bad experiences if you choose the wrong one. Yeah, and, you know, I think... um, there's a tendency for buyers to, when it's tough market, when the market conditions are tough, there are tendencies for buyers to sort of come up with what seem to be logical solutions to their problem and <laughs> then go and find somebody to deliver on that logical solution to the problem. And, and one of those logical solutions that seems so natural is, I know the reason I haven't bought a property is because I haven't got access to off-markets. And it's sort of true, but also really dangerous because a lot of buyers agents think, I know how I'm going to get lots of customers, lots of clients. I'm going to pitch myself as the off-market specialist. You know, And there are I'm- people who that is their unique selling proposition is I find lots of off-market properties. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you and I can find lots of off-market properties, but we'd probably go and look at about 5% of them. Yeah, well, I look about 5% of anything, anything. really. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make them any better. <laughs> In fact, a lot of our clients come to us after having tried to do this themselves and they and I've had a number of them say, oh, my God, I don't real, I didn't realise I had, didn't have to actually look at everything that came on the market. It's like, well, no, I can tell from the floor plan or from the aspect or from the street or Building whatever. Building because of your local knowledge or yes. what's, in the, what's in the local, like, you know, the bikies clubhouse that's two doors down that, you know, like all of that sort of stuff comes into it. Exactly. But we digress. The off, this whole off-market idea has become so popular. Mm. It's, almost, it's almost like people... Um, 
fear. Yes, you'll miss out on some if you're not getting to all the off-market opportunities, but someone who markets themselves as an off-market specialist is actually missing the on-market opportunities. Mm. And that could be the right property. That could be the right match for your brief and for what you're looking for. So just hanging your hat on off-market isn't going to give you the full market. You must look at everything and judge each unique property on its own merits and how, how well it fits the brief that you have. Exactly right. Because let's face it, a property that's actively on the market where the owner's gone to the expense of getting the property ready for sale and potentially styling it and paying for advertising, et cetera, et cetera, Mm. they're a motivated seller. Whereas a lot of this off-market stuff, they're just dipping their toe in the water, hoping some crazy buyer. Opportunistic, aren't they? (laughs) Wow, if someone pays me 20% more than my property's worth, I might think about selling it. And I've seen some of these these off-market specialists do deals that are honestly just make, would make me turn in my grave before I was dead, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> Instead, you talk about it on podcasts and that gets dead. out of your system I, and you purge. <laughs> that's it. I'm not dead. Right. Another thing to be really careful about are buyers' agents to say how quickly or they brag about how quickly they buy, mm-hmm. um, you know, forcing the purchase. And so if they're purchasing a lot of property and really churning, churning through their clients and churning through, they may not be taking the time to properly finesse and negotiate the right deal. They may not be taking the time to properly do the due diligence, but they also may be they paying may- more than they need to be. And they may not have helped you actually get your brief right. Just because you come to a buyer's agent and say, I want this, this and this in this location does not mean that the buyer's agent should actually just take that brief and run with it. A really good buyer's agent is going to challenge that and say, well, how have you come to this conclusion? What is it about your stage in life that this is the right answer for or where where you think you should be? Or have you considered possibly a different location for bigger, better, larger, smaller, you know, um, is the the location that you've chosen actually quite a poor decision given Mm -hmm. what the buyer's agent knows about infrastructure projects or, or what might be coming up in terms of development? So, so I think one of the, one of the things that I get quite concerned about is if a client comes to me and says, this is what I want, I want you to just go and find it. I'm going to have a hard conversation with them. I'm going to have, I'm going to really talk to them about why they've come to that conclusion about their brief, why they've decided on that location. And there is a whole raft of things I want to know from them. So as a buyer's agent, if, if I was just to take a brief and rush out and buy a property and sort of force the deal, and we call it going for the deal, not actually servicing the client, um, (laughs) they're, they're a buyer's agent who's actually lining their own pocket and looking for the commission that they're going to get as a result of the purchase, not actually trying to find the right asset or make sure that you're even looking at the right assets um, along the way. One of the the things that really led me to swap from being a sales agent to being a buyer's agent is that it really draws on my ability to critically think. And Mm. The thing is, when you've got a buyer's agent that is not engaging critical thinking, they're just giving you what, okay, but they said they wanted it. Yeah, Yeah. an order taker, yeah. yeah. And they said they wanted it and that's fine and maybe then they still buy it. I think you've got a saying in your business, which is what we advise you decide. We've got a saying in our business, which is eyes wide open. We'll give you all the pros and cons of a property and then whatever decision you make, you are fully informed, right? Now, as long as you've made the decision based on the facts and the data, not the emotion and 
what you want it to be. Yeah, because the problem is... We can idealise a lot, can't we? Very short-term thinking, that is. And so if you don't have a buyer's agent that is prepared to challenge you and bring their experience to the table to open your eyes to a different way of looking at things and, and making sure you're fully aware of... All the thing, all the decisions you're going to make, then you potentially have an order taker rather than an advisor. Um, really, really important. Yep. Uh, the other thing uh, that, that I do hear, not so much in Brisbane, but certainly I would think that it's com- more common in Sydney and Melbourne, is to say that they, if, an, if a buyer's agent says they have a high level of success at auction. Mm. Now, now, you and I know that auction is just another way to buy property. There is a psychological process that sits behind auctions and how, how they're pulled together by the agent, how people are put into competition with each other, how the auctioneer interacts with people during the auction. That's all quite a structured process. Um, people are often not aware of that. However, if you are any, anyone who's, who bids at a lot of auctions, if you are always winning the auction you're always purchasing the property in a hot market, it's possible that they're choosing the wrong quality property or an inferior quality property because there's no competition actually Mm. on the auction floor or they're paying too much. Or both. (laughs) Or or both. Because in a hot auction, Veronica, what, what sort of percentage would you think is a reasonable success rate for a good quality buyer's agent who is thorough in their asset selection and good with their pricing uh, evaluation process? Oh, look, I can tell you in the beginning of 2021, March would have been the hottest market, March, April. March, April. I actually think we went six weeks without buying a property. You know, so you were, so, you were under you were outbid by other people. So you found assets yep. that were good quality. So there was a lot of competition yes. on them. Yep. That's a good indication yep. for the asset selection. And You're doing a pricing analysis. Mm-hmm. Advising our clients on which properties to push themselves for and which not to push themselves for. The prices just were crazy. And each time it was, you know, and or we knew things about those properties that really, really meant that we had a tough hard no, a hard line as to do not pay more than X because of these reasons, these limitations. Um, And so, you know, we had a bit of a joke in the business that we were calling ourselves good deeds property underbidders. Remember that actually, <laughs> yes. because you were very like, oh, frustrated at the time. Oh, very, and and I kept saying to clients, "I feel like you're a bit disadvantaged because you know more than these other buyers, mm. and they are going in without that knowledge. And if those things, you know, there were things like you know parking not approved, and there was just various properties coming on the market that had real issues. That if the buyer was not aware of it, and this is something we teach in in your first home buyer guide, is what you need to do in your due diligence to be aware of this stuff because. If you pay top dollar for a property, for instance, you think it has parking and then you discover it's not approved and you go to do some work on the property and the council says, oh, by the way, that's not approved and you lose your parking that you have paid for, you know, that's something that I don't want happening to one of my clients. And and so- Yes, and and the situation there, Veronica, is they've paid a price for something that mm, they believe to exist that doesn't exist. So when they go to sell, and they might not know this mistake until five Mm -hmm. or 10 years down the track, that property has depleted value because yep. it, they they don't have that. Someone else is going to do the research and find out what they should have found out when they were purchasing the property. And the value proposition, if they're not in a hot market at that point in time and people have got a bit more time to be a bit more picky, 
that then becomes a highly compromised property and the value proposition, the capital gain that has happened over that period of time will underperform in comparison to other properties. And that's spot on, that in a hot market, people overlook all sorts of stuff. Mm. And in a slow market, they get very, very picky and that sort of stuff becomes a deal breaker and it really costs. So, um, and and so, you know, so yeah, there's this period of time. So our success rate, if you want to measure it that way, um, was zero. However... <laughs> My success rate extrapolate over twelve months. Yeah, my success <laughs> rate in giving my clients <laughs> my my success rate in giving my clients good advice was one hundred percent. Yes, and and that's the difference. And that's so a better measure. Yeah, when people say to me, "What's your auction success rate?" I'm like, "Oh, that's very interesting. How do you measure success? Because if if it's winning every auction, then I'm I've lost." For all of my clients, I've lost because, it's I, yes, like you strategy, say, isn't it? yeah. Now I was at an auction the other day. Well, just before we all got locked down, and Veronica's this was... in Sydney at the moment, and it's the twentieth <laughs> of uh, July. Yeah, yeah, into Julyish kind of period. Lockdown, yeah, and that's why she talks to me a lot because I do. <laughs> this is how she gets out of the office. <laughs> So, okay, so I was at this auction and let me give you an example of, of, you know, okay, most auctions I go to, I actually don't come across many other buyer's agents and they, this is weird and, and it wasn't until I went to this auction of what I would say was a C-grade property, you may ask why I was there, I won't go into the long story. I will story. ask why you're I there. Was, I was there because I had a client eyes wide open that wanted to go for it. Eyes okay, so wide you, open. You informed them they're aware Absolutely. of the issues. You had you had made sure that they are completely aware of what yep. they're doing, and they make a choice. One hundred percent. So Got Rachel it. and my team, even before we they engaged us, she was trying to talk them out of the property. That's before we've even got any money from this. So mm-hmm. there's, there's a good sign. If a buyer's agent wants to talk you out of buying a property, you think, hmm, that might be um, worthwhile listening. But anyway, these guys, they wanted to buy anyway, right? We went through the whole exercise. I go to the auction and I, there's three other buyer's agents that have, that have registered to bid. And that's the it's one. It's great property. Yeah. Pretty cool thing in, in New South Wales. You have to be regist- you registered yes. to, to bid at auction. So I get to see, and I'm like, three you know, if I come up against one at an auction, that's that's not that common. Happens every now and then, but not mm. common, not every single au- au- auction. So three was really unusual. Yeah. One of, I knew, I knew who all three of them were. And um, anyway, we did buy it, I have to say. And and I, I was very happy for the client because they, despite all the information that we gave them, they still wanted it. So they made their mind up they wanted the property. So I was happy that they got what they wanted, right? I was a little embarrassed bidding at it because even as the agent, <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to bid for this property. I really don't. I made it really clear to everybody. I do not like this property. Client knew it, everything. But anyway, afterwards, we actually had somebody that saw me bidding at that auction and had reached out and was talking to Rachel in my team. She sort of handles handles the inquiries. And she decided, and Rachel was having a similar conversation with her that she had had with these other clients to say, well, look, you know, the sort of property you're looking at buying is not an A-grade property. You know, like you, you have the budget for an A-grade property rather than panic um, and try to buy just anything because it's a hot market, mm. you know, take your time, slow down. And this comes back to that buying quickly, forcing deals and is the deal or the client or the requirements uh, the most important. And 
having a buyer's agent that sort of will slow you down and say, look, let's focus on the big picture here, the, mm. the long term. Mm. And so this woman, though, didn't really like ha- getting that advice. So she went off and chose a different buyer's agent. And that's totally fine because then her feedback to Rachel was, I think she understood me better, right? And that's fine. We're oh, quite so happy. She not- was going to say yes. Yeah. Happened to be one of those buyer's agents that was at that auction. And then she went and bought them a main road house mm. for $500,000. I mean, okay, so Sydney and these aren't first home buyers, but they had extra $500,000. There was no need for them to buy that house. They could have bought a better location. Oh, my God, they could have. Mm. It was, And it was they bought quickly and she was really proud of us. You know, she's my A-grade buyer's agent. We had feedback via a mortgage broker who told us that she was so happy she bought quickly, you know, all that sort of stuff. She felt like she got a bargain, but she bought a really poor asset when she could have afforded a much in a better hot one. market. In a hot market. In a hot market. So you're paying a premium in a hot market for a B or C grade asset. Once that market slows and it turns, that's when it's going to be difficult to sell. And that's one of our home buyer academy property principles mm-hmm. is if it's difficult to if it's easy to buy, it's, it's easy to buy. It's to difficult sell. to sell. <laughs> but the, anyway, the, the moral of the story there is that not all buyers agents will stop and actually tell you information that you may not want to hear that yeah. could be in your best interests, yeah. and that's a really important thing to look out for. Yeah, and if you're talking to, if you're interviewing buyers agents and they talk about the number of deals they've done. Deal is a word that we don't talk about because we consult to clients. We 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 actually uh, take them through quite a journey and a process. And to get an end result for, for a client isn't about getting a deal. If a, if a buyer's agent is talking about a deal, that means they are in there to get an outcome that is possibly commission-based. And if they are on commission only, they're probably very hungry mm. and they need to buy properties. Just like a selling agent needs to sell properties, they need to buy properties in order to get paid. Yeah. So how a buyer's agent is rewarded, whether they have a base salary or commission only, is a really it's a really justifiable question to answer. ask because um, you can get very hungry if you're on commission only and you're not getting deals together. Whereas sometimes, and I've heard you say, Veronica, you're you're almost thinking about introducing a metric that is how many properties did we recommend a client didn't buy? Yes. Because that's <laughs> that's just as valuable. It is, it is just as valuable. The properties that we recommend people don't buy and that they walk away from are just as valuable as the ones that we actually find, evaluate and end up buying for people and recommend to them. Probably more so. Probably more yeah. important, actually. One thing that um, over the years I've seen a lot of buyers agents, particularly new ones that come into the market, they try to be everything to everyone. Mm. Um, you know, when the market, because this is just something that we, we started talking about now too, reminding people this is, the market is a cycle, is cyclic, cyclical, cyclic, cyclical, cyclical, cyclical. Um, you know, it's booming at the moment, nearly everywhere. But it won't be in forever. You know, it'll slow down. And, the, you know, the last time it slowed down, oh, the amount of buyers agents that I knew that was suddenly buying in Queensland or yeah. suddenly buying in Adelaide or suddenly buying. And I'd say to them, how do you, why are you doing that? Oh, well, that's where, buy, that's where my clients want to buy. And it's like, how are you adding value though? How do you know any more than they do in that area? Like you're mm. not, you you live in Sydney. You don't even know that area. Mm. Um, and I know that a lot of the Brisbane buyers agents, I mean, what were you? 
<laughs> what observation? Actually, whenever the value proposition in Melbourne and Sydney decreases, so prices increase dramatically mm. in Sydney and Melbourne, um, that's when people look to Brisbane, often look to Brisbane as the next major capital city to to put their money in. Um, and that brings a proliferation. Proliferation. Thank you. Um, of of out of area experts, and I'm using I'm Rabbities. using inverted commas when I when I'm saying that word. You can't be an expert in all locations. I know when I started the business, I was desperate to sort of build the business and and understand. And I was buying anywhere from Cairns to northern New South Wales. I was licensed oh my in God, Queensland really? and, and yeah, Queensland and New South Wales. So in that first 12 month period, I was spreading myself really across too many marketplaces. And I actually had to sit back as a as a consultant, you know, consulting background, I had to sit back and say, I don't know these places intimately. I, I don't know that I'm doing the best thing by these people in going to these areas. I could talk to the agents there, I could talk to building and pest inspectors, I could talk to property managers, I could talk to a whole raft of people in those locations, but I still did not have intimate local knowledge outside of Brisbane and and that was the point you know 12 months in was the point where I went no you know what I'm only ever going to be a Brisbane specialist I might find specialists in other locations and that's where we start to build a network of other buyers agents that can actually service people in other locations but as a business and as an individual I can't have that intimate knowledge in other locations and it's so valuable you know you might as well be doing it yourself if you're going to pay someone in Sydney to buy in Brisbane Oh, that's exactly right. But even within Sydney, for instance, I mean, Sydney's a massive city mm. and so is, is Melbourne geographically. And so any buyer's agent that says, oh, yes, well, I can, you know, in Sydney, it would like, if I can buy for you in the Sutherland Shire, oh, I could buy for you in Katoomba or I can buy in the <laughs> district or I can buy up in the Central Coast. It's just, they're just being opportunistic and they're just chasing yeah. the dollars. They're not actually really providing value. So I think that that's a really, really um, big question to ask, you know, mm-hmm. What is your local uh, expertise? You know, where is the area where you have the strongest local expertise and how does do you that physically know you? those areas? Do you physically go to those areas often enough to know what's good, what's bad, mm. what side of the street, what the topography is like, who, who's doing what, what's the rumours in the areas, you know, all that sort of stuff, that local knowledge is just invaluable. Mm. Yeah. What side um, of the hill? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, now, the, 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 a big thing to be concerned about if you're thinking about using a buyer's agent is any grey areas. So really understanding who they are working for. And I guess we, we bang on about this a lot and we did talk about it earlier, so I won't go into it in depth, but who are they working for? Mm. Are they working for a developer? Are they? Have you just gone to a property seminar and they're trying to shoehorn you into an off-plan development that is about the same as all the other 12 off-plan developments that are coming in the next 12 months? Um, so who, who are they working for? And, and a classic for this, and I'm not going to tar an entire industry, but financial planners <laughs> can get... Get yeah. highly and incentivized and mortgage brokers, and mortgage brokers mm. can be highly incentivized by developers of complexes, unit complexes, townhouses, whatever the case may be, subdivisions to to sell people into these things, and that's what they're doing. They're not advising you on what's best for you. They're selling you into a, a product that somebody else is going to pay them for, and these commissions can be big. We're, oh. we're talking five, ten, twelve percent of what you're paying could actually be paid to the person who's suggesting that you buy it. So you've got to be really clear that those grey areas are removed. 
the buyer's agent should be exclusive just to you, paid mm. by you, looking after your interests, protecting your interests and not getting any kind of kickback from any property that you might end up buying. Particularly with grants because, of course, that they often align themselves with helping you get the most amount of money out of the government, right? Mm. And, look, we've talked about this ad nauseum. We won't go into it in great detail here. However, you know, that's that's one example. Yes, sure, you know, they're saying, oh, you can get all these grants from the government, but just think about it. If they're getting a 10% kickback, so say you pay $600,000 for a house and land package for argument's sake, $60,000 of that potentially is going into their pocket mm. and the grants are actually subsidising their salaries. They're not actually helping you because those properties are inflated in price in order to be able to pay that commission. Pay the commission. And this is not a one-off. This is a cr- over and over and over again we keep hearing about this stuff, so it's really important <laughs> to understand. We want to make sure you want to make sure that you're getting challenged by a buyer's agent because they they should know more than you. And if uh, if you if we talked about <laughs> this before, if you, they should know more than you, and they shouldn't just take, be an order taker. They should they should actually be challenging you about what you want, what you're thinking, where you are in your stage of life. You know, we talked about it before, but it, it's a it's a really hard conversation and, that you have to have with people. But you have to be able to have you. it comfortably. Yeah, and educating you as well and making sure that you come out knowing more than you go in. Mm. I think that's really important, you know, that back to the eyes wide open. You can't buy with your eyes wide open if you haven't learnt anything. Yeah, yeah, and take you through the journey. We love, I I love that whole idea of taking clients through the purchasing Mm. journey. So every step of the way they're learning more and more and more um, and it makes them a much better buyer when the right property comes up. It makes them Mm. really well informed. They understand the information they're receiving. But it is a journey. You don't just kind of get from there to there in a week. It it takes a while. You know, you and I are looking at properties every every day. We might look at, I wouldn't even know how to estimate 3,000 properties a year plus online and and narrowing that down and narrowing that down and narrowing it down to how many we see a week. But um, that kind of collective knowledge is what we want to help people put it in a succinct form and help people through a journey of learning how to be a really good buyer and then feeling very in control of the decision at the end. And an order taker isn't going to take someone through that that journey. They're, They're simply going to go and find something that puts a deal together. And a a tricky one is, and and I've said this to potential clients before, I've said, you know, if you really want to know who the good buyer's agents are, go and talk to sales agents and ask them. The problem is, of course, that a lot of sales agents are getting paid by buyer's agents for referrals. So you sort of then have to ask, oh, by the way, are you getting paid to refer me? Um, And that's a really important question to ask. But those that aren't, because not everyone does, when they sort of say, look, you know, oh, actually, I wouldn't go with them because, you know, they they sort of do tend to pay a bit much. Yeah, and they'll buy anything and they're a bit easy to deal with. You know, I want someone who actually is a bit tough. I mean, if you're going to buy a buy, as a pay a buyer's agent, you want someone who's a little bit difficult for a real estate agent to deal with. Like, as in, not just going to basically not going to roll over and say, "Yeah, I'll pay it." That's exactly right. Not going to yeah. eat out of their hand. You know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, there's there's a, there's a. I think you get this as well, but there will be. You know, sometimes we'll see a property sell and we didn't know about it. We'll ring the agent and say, "I didn't." What what happened with this? I didn't know about it. And they, they say, you would never buy this property, Megan. We're yes. not even going to tell you about it. And they'll yeah. tell me then what the negatives were. And I'll go, oh, yeah, fair enough. Thanks for not wasting my time. <laughs> but know, another buyer's agent bought it. 
Yeah. And they will laugh at them behind their backs. It's so it's, you know, and so by extension, that's the buyer gets laughed about too. So you got, you don't mm. want to be one of those buyers. They're the deal makers. That's yeah. it. Now, another question to ask, obviously, is how do you, what's your policy for, you know, having competing briefs? Will, will I be competing with other clients, you mm. know, and how do you manage all of that? Uh, you know, it's a hard one because we have a policy in our business, for instance, not to take on a competing brief, but some briefs morph over time. People they go and get more money. They change over time, don't they? Then, yeah, you need yeah. to have a really clear way of actually managing that. Yeah, yeah. And and each each agency will have different approach to that. But if they don't have a policy and they can't articulate it, mm. that's a red flag because you may actually be put in competition with another buyer on an individual property or you may not be given an individual property because another buyer has a slightly higher budget than you or a slightly lower budget. Um, so it's really important to understand how competing briefs are going to be dealt with because a good buyer's agent will have a lot of clients. They will be very busy, particularly right now in this hot market. They will have a number of clients that they are managing and probably a team to help support um, that process of actually looking at properties. Fee structure is a big one and it's usually the first question. We put this as the last thing to think about or to worry about. Mm. Um, and, And that is how do, how's the buyer's agent paid? Now there are different models um, different structures. Um, you and I even do it differently. Mm. But fundamentally, the, the three main models are a percentage of the purchase price, which is only found out once the, the price is agreed to, a flat fee, which is something that is worked out upfront, or maybe all properties at all price ranges are just a flat fee. Often, Early stage buyers agents will charge a low flat fee because they're trying to get some runs on the board, they're trying to get some clients, they're trying to get some transactions together so that they have some credibility in the marketplace. So that that often is a bit of an indication. If there's a low flat fee, probably an entry-level buyers agent. And then there are others that have fee scales. So they might be in price bands, but they're fixed, you know what the fee is up front. Um, so these different models, th- these are good questions to ask. Personally, you and I are not fans of percentage models mm-hmm. because the more the buyer's agent pays for a property, the more they're going to get paid. Sort of doesn't make sense, does it? Works for a selling agent because their job's to get the highest price. It doesn't mm. work for a buyer's agent whose job is to, to negotiate the best price. Most clients I know, you know, we do offer fixed fees um, and that's based on the complexity of the search budget is part of it. You know, it's like they've got heaps of money and they've got heaps of money for the, what they want, then that's easy, <laughs> except that nobody search, does. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so, and then some some searches cover a large geographical area and obviously it's going to be more expensive than one that's very focused, but one that's too focused might take a long time to find yeah. the right property. So all these are variables that are different, you know, we price into our, our fees. So here's a, some of the things to look for when you're talking to buyers agents. You know, it's the stuff, as we mentioned earlier, it's the stuff we say no to that is just as valuable, even more valuable as the properties we recommend. Mm-hmm. So ask what, you know, have there been recent times when you've actually recommended a client not buy a property and Pro- why? Clients wanted a property, like the look of it, and and what, what sort of circumstances would you suggest that they shouldn't buy it? And if they can give you some real examples of, of when they've actually recommended against a property. So remember, a buyer's agent usually gets paid most of their money once a purchase is made, some along the way, some with registration fees, but most of the, uh, the income actually comes once a property is purchased. 
So if a buyer's agent isn't consistently saying no to properties that either don't meet the brief properly, there's no perfect property. We call them um, perfectly imperfect. Perfectly imperfect. And and it's going to be perfectly imperfect and you'll only know the compromises once you've been through the journey. But if they can't articulate a number of examples where they've said to someone, the reason that we're not recommending this property is X, X, S and X, and I really don't think there's a price at which we should, you know, there's no price that we should pay for this property, um, then they're probably more of a deal maker than an advisor. Mm. So look look out for that. You know, consider how well protected or informed do you feel after talking to them? Do you feel that they're honest and open in conversation, you know, and what's their team structure? Who will actually look after you? What happens if um, you're sick? If you're sick. Or on holidays. Yeah, if the um, buyer's agent's sick. Yep. Um, what if there are two or three inspections at the same time? How are we going to manage it all? And the other thing too I'd be looking at, how many buyer's agents are in the team? If they're one of these really big scaled operations, they've got loads of mouths to fe- feed, they're literally, you know, if, you, if we think there's probably 5% of properties on the market that are worth looking at, and of those 5%, mm, maybe I'd recommend 10 or 20 maybe, we're talking 1% or 2% of properties that's on the market any given time is worthwhile recommending. Mm. If I've got 20 buyers agents in my team, we have to recommend stuff that's no good. Yes. Because you just physically cannot cannot cover all the, you know, you, you basically that don't have clients. enough property. Yeah, yeah. And, they, and, and depending on whether the buyers agents are on an income, so a salary, a salary that if, you know, they get paid every week mm. and they can do their groceries and pay their mortgage and all their bills and all that sort of stuff. Or are, are they on commission only? So buyers agents that are on commission only are much more inclined to need to get an outcome to get you to buy something than someone that's on a salary uh, because they're only going to get paid if you buy something. Yeah. So it's how hungry are they? Not in a good way for you. Yeah, but I want to go back to that team structure because this is, you you and I operate in a similar way. Mm. If a buyer's agent has a support person, a searcher, or the buyer's agents work in a team structure, um, so on a Friday, uh, my buyer's agents get together to have lunch. Um, There's three of them. There's two support people and an administrator, and they do the Saturday run sheet. Mm. That is any property that we haven't seen during the week that we couldn't get into for whatever reason, that's got to be seen on a Saturday. I will guarantee you there are at least every second Saturday there are four inspections at 10 a.m. Oh, yeah. It's the same in Sydney, but it's, it's 11 a.m. is the most popular time. You're 11, so we're and 10 it's like, is what the is everybody And often there? there's an auction then as well. So mm-hmm. if you're a single operator, if your buyer's agent is a single operator, you've got to question how they can possibly get coverage of all mm. of those time all of those properties that they need to without compromising or maybe missing one which may be your perfectly imperfect property so got to get the right structure there that there's enough people but not too many that they're recommending properties that shouldn't be recommended to you yeah and also the support in terms of the due diligence so you know the buyer's agent it, well, certainly in my team, I've got I've got researcher that does the majority of our due diligence, and we yeah. all know how to do it if we have to. But yeah. you know, we, it's very time consuming, which is usually um, about nine thirty on a Thursday night when <laughs> <laughs> you've got yeah. to get your offer Finally in by the next day. Yeah, <laughs> so it's important to have those resources so that that can be turned around quickly, mm-hmm. but also that the time can be dedicated to do it properly, yep. and um, and that's a really important factor as well. 
And if you're working in a team, Veronica, someone can have a holiday, which is very important mm. because if you burn out, you can burn out really. This is a big job. Like it's it's a 24-hour-a-day job sometimes. Mm. Not that you're working every one of those 24 hours, but it could be 9.30 at night and then back on the back on the phone, you know, first thing in the morning. So if you're going to have a break or you're sick or whatever, there's got to be an ability for someone else to know what's going on to pick up and continue that search so the journey isn't interrupted. And it comes down to systems and processes as well. And you want to make sure that they do have a system for process, for going through the process so that, you know, what happens when we get to a point where we've identified a property? What happens once we've worked out what it's worth? What happens, you know, then at what time do you sort of trigger all the due diligence that needs to be done for a property? Yeah. So it's really important that, that it's very thorough and it's not loose because, you know, loose is not good. <laughs> This is not good in property. Yeah. A really good question to ask is how have past clients' properties performed? Mm -hmm. Now, if the buyer's agent has been in business long enough, they will have had people who bought who have subsequently sold. So, you know, your turnaround time is often seven years for a a principal place of residence, um, maybe 10 plus years for an investment property. So, So we can track in the history of our business a huge number of properties and how they've performed based on what was paid for them at start, what was their growth, how did that compare to the market, Mm. did it outperform the market, did it underperform, did it just perform in line. Um, These sorts of metrics are just so valuable because it tells you whether whether that buyer's agency is into just getting a deal at whatever price or if they're actually looking at properties that are going to perform above average. Yeah, very, very, very important, that one. Uh, REBA membership. Now, REBA is Real Estate Buyers Agents Association of Australia, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, less than what, 10% of estimated buyers agents out there in the country are members. Now, you do have hurdles. They do have hurdles that they have to clear in order to qualify for membership, uh, but they also can uh, become learner members and provisional members. So there's no reason why they shouldn't clear those hurdles or want mm. to clear those hurdles if they take their career seriously and their profession mm. seriously. And so the thing is with um, Reba as well that they can only be a member if you're an exclusive buyer's agent. That means you're not taking kickbacks from, you know, sales agents and uh, developers, et cetera, developers, et cetera. Yeah, um, yeah, so basically that's that's a bit of a protection. It's not enough on its own. You know, you still got to make all these other, the, uh, ask these other tough questions and really make your own mind up. But it's a really good place to start. Mm. Yeah, certainly, certainly if you were looking for a lawyer, you'd look at the, you know, that they're appropriately, mm. um, you, you know, the belief accredited. in consumer protection, they're accredited, they're independent uh, to it. You, know, you can't represent both sides. You can't both have the same lawyer if you're in dispute with somebody. Um, you know, they're licensed and they've been working for a period of time. Um, so they, these are all really important questions, but it is a sensational place to start because those people have had to clear a lot of hurdles and have had to have a level of experience to actually become full members. Absolutely. Um, And there's a code uh, of conduct as well. Yeah. And I think that's really important. There's, when you're talking to someone, um, 
you know, I think, you know, some people are natural salespeople and they can sell their services and, and that's really quite a skill. But when you're in this situation, when it's your home or your investment property, you want someone who are going, who is going to ask you questions about you, not someone who's going to jump into giving advice too quickly or, or tell you where to buy. You know, someone who immediately says, I know exactly where you need to buy, or we just bought one similar to what you're looking for. If they go straight into that and sell you the service, then that buyer's agent isn't taking a consultative or advisory approach, which is to uncover more about you and where you are in your life and what your goals are and what you're trying to achieve and how have you arrived at this and how where are you in your finance process and if the right property came up tomorrow, you know, how long have you been looking, how many properties have you made offers on? These are all such important questions because they reveal an awful lot about whether you are the right fit for the buyer's agent and whether the buyer's agent is actually the right fit for you because you're both kind of interviewing each other at that very early Mm. stage. Yes, and if they're not too fussy about taking you on as well, I mean, that's important. (laughs) (laughs) You've got to be a good client. Um, You know, if they're, in my early days, we took on a few sort of questionable clients, that's for sure. (laughs) Nearly everyone does. But um, I think too- Ask for specific acquisition stories in a similar price range and location. So you don't want the sell job, but you Mm -hmm. do want to understand that they've actually been able to take people like you on a similar journey. You know, that's about credibility. That's about track record. That's about, you know, the smarts and the ability to get you there. Um, And then there's lots of clues in that story too, Mm. you know, in terms of, you know, how consultative are they? How much did they focus on making sure it was the right decision rather than a quick decision? All those sorts of things. What are some of the examples of the properties that you recommended against in that search that was similar Mm. to mine? That's so valuable because you start to build a little bit of a base of information yourself. Um, a really good question to to ask is how will you actually advise me? What, what's your process? How do you assess properties and how do you price them? Now, mm. a buyer's agent is not going to give away their intellectual property. They're not going to tell you how they're going to do things. They're not going to give you the, the basis of their reporting at that point in time. But they should be able to articulate a very clear process, a very clear pathway that you'll go through as a client um, so that you understand and know what to expect through through the process and how they're going to communicate with you and, and, and what sort of information you're going to get at what point in time. Here's a really big clue for that, right? If you just do our free mini course, that is how to price a property. If you have done that and then you ask the buyer's agent how they price a property, if they don't talk you through something that's quite similar to that process, you know that you know more than they do. And (laughs) you know what? On LinkedIn, I I, I put a post recently um, and had a lot of people commenting on it and all that sort of stuff. There was somebody who uh, is, uh, I think, a principal of a buyer's agency who I can't believe actually said this. The, his, his first comment was ridiculous. It was anyway, but the second comment was even more ridiculous. He said, our buyer's agents, uh, paraphrasing here, routinely put 20% on top of the agent's price guide and sometimes that's not enough. I think it was always put. As in that's their method of pricing a property. That's insane. That is so wrong. So that's, for me, massive red flag. I actually did comment to say if if your buyer's agents are doing that, they are part of the problem. (laughs) (laughs) He did not respond, funnily enough. But I was amazed because I just thought this is meant to be a professional. Now, Mm. if you are... An educated professional who knows more than you. Exactly. So Mm. just... 
you know, hey, I want you to do the full, your, you know, your first home buyer guide course, mm-hmm. do the whole thing. And then you're going to be way in a better position to actually um, to work out whether that buyer's agent is, is good or not. But if they say anything like that, I just add 10%, 15%, 20%, whatever to the guide, then you know that you, you should run for the hills. Yeah, and price estimates. Look, we could go on and on and on about automated <laughs> valuations and so forth, but you'll find that out in the free course if you, you do. Will. You will. All right, Veronica, what are some of the some of the reasons that people use buyers agents? So as a first-time buyer, um, you know, we absolutely advocate, and this is why we developed your first-time buyer guide, we advocate self-education. Mm. But you may actually, through that self-education process, find that there are gaps in where you have levels of confidence or you just don't feel that you can fill the skill gap. So so there might actually be moments or parts of the process where a buyer's agent could help you. And that might be the full process. If you're time poor, if you don't have time to put into enough time to put into the amount of time it takes to talk to agents, to go to properties, to do the research, to do the due diligence, to do the pricing, if you don't have the time to put into that, that may be a good indicator that talking to a buyer's agent may help you make some good decisions along the way and help you um, not not lose your job because you're on realestate.com too, too often. Yes. Who's got time, really? I mean, it's a full-time job. I could attest to that. Yes, it <laughs> um, is. If you're knowledge poor, I mean, certainly do the course, as I said, but and then still see if you still need a buyer's agent. But, It'll you know, reveal where your gaps are, yeah. Yeah. Some people also, they just don't, they're not interested in mm acquiring the knowledge and if you're not yep. interested you probably should go and get a buyer's agent you know yep. because <laughs> you just you need to spend you, the time you have to have a lot of interest yeah mm-hmm. yeah it doesn't mean you have to love it you no. just have to have commitment to it and and some people like part of the process but not other parts like some people love doing mm. the online looking for properties talking to agents going and inspecting but then they might not like the other part of it. So buyer's agents can can actually just do part of the service for you. So if you yeah. find a property that you like, but you're not then confident on how to price it, maybe not so confident about the negotiation, maybe a little bit concerned about attending auctions. Of course, there is a book out there that will help you get ready for an auction, Veronica. It is. You could actually um, down, well, we'll put the link here. in the show notes. How's that for the book? Auction ready. How to buy property at auction, even though you're scared shitless. Written by me. Potty mouth. <laughs> <laughs> written by potty mouth. <laughs> yeah, so there's so a buyers good- agents can do small parts of the process for you if you actually like, you know, some parts of it. Mm. Um, but a big one that we actually find, people will ring up and say, I am just so sick of doing this. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm sick of dealing fatigued. with agents. Mm. I'm fatigued. You know, a lot of our clients are incredibly intelligent people. They they could do this mm. if they had the time and the interest, but they recognise that they have neither, and that's yeah. okay. Totally, and it's not for the faint-hearted. I think that the the risks and the benefits of buying your first home or any property well. Um, are well documented, but not all property is worth buying. Not all not all property is going to set you up for life. And so it's really important to make sure that you avoid all those pitfalls along the way. So, you know, choosing a good experience, exclusive buyer's agent to help you might be the solution for you. We hope that you've actually come away with some really good questions to ask and what to look for and to how to sort the wheat from the chaff. 
Oh, nice way to end. In this episode, we've covered a very small part of our 10-step online course for first-time buyers. If you would like to learn more about the process and how to buy without making a mistake, then head over to our website, www.homebuyeracademy.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you like what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. Five stars would be wonderful. It will help others find us as well. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with some more priceless stuff.